Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 100, A Glimpse of the Max Future. Hi, I'm Neil. You know you're having fun doing a podcast when you mark the 100th episode and you are amazed that you've done 99 already. It sure doesn't seem like it. I think I've told this story in the past, but when I started Above Avalon, one of the things that I needed to learn the most about was podcasting. I had listened to podcasts before Above Avalon, but I had never recorded my own podcast. So financial modeling, I did that for a number of years. Writing, I was doing that for a while. But podcasting, I needed to watch a lot of YouTube videos. I sent a lot of questions out to people who really knew a lot about sound, editing. And so I learned a lot, and it's really incredible to see how far the Above Avalon podcast has come since that point. Instead of a special 100th episode, I want to treat this just like any other episode. We have a topic that we're going to talk about following WWDC earlier this month, but I did want to take a minute or two to thank all of you, the listeners. The amazing thing about this podcast is for a lot of people, and the number keeps going up, they are being introduced to Above Avalon for the very first time via this podcast. I'm always amazed by that, and I think it just goes to show the power of the medium and how really in today's world, a lot of different mediums make sense for different people. So I'm looking forward to really seeing where this podcast goes. The great thing about covering Apple is the company does a lot of things. Even though they're very focused, there's changes, they're entering new industries. So I think the next 100 episodes are going to be just as intriguing from seeing how Apple is navigating this world. Today's episode is going to be focused on the Mac. And whenever we talk about the Mac, we have to talk about the iPad. We are at a point where you can't talk about one without at least mentioning the other. If we go back over some of the previous episodes in 2017, both the Mac and iPad have been a pretty recurring topic. There's been a lot of change, a lot of movement with those product categories. The last time we talked about the Mac was in April, episode 95, A Mac Headache. And we talked about how the Mac strategy at Apple was beginning to change. And that change will likely cause some issues for management. There's some feedback with that episode, really a lot of agreement and also a lot of disagreement. Since that episode, we've had the WWDC keynote earlier this month, and the Mac was a very big part of that keynote. We were able to get a lot of answers as to where the Mac is headed. And I think there are some changes that we should talk about. There are some things that I don't think were as clear a couple months ago. And then this is where the iPad comes into the discussion. Because I think what Apple's trying to do with the iPad, it's going to have an impact on the Mac. Heading into this year's WWDC conference, one item that most people would agree with is that the Mac has been somewhat awkward. It's been a very weird stretch over the past few years. The number of hardware updates for the Mac line have been unusually sporadic. We had that new 12-inch MacBook in 2015. 
We then had the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar in October 2016. A lot of people are wondering, what about the iMac? What about the Mac Pro? We have the MacBook Air. What is going on with all of these other products, all these other Mac models? The thing that's important to note is that the changes Apple did ship with the MacBook, they were a pretty big deal. If you look at the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, things like Touch ID, multi-touch display, an Apple chip, you're starting to talk about Apple taking the best parts of mobile and bringing it to the Mac. That was their strategy for pushing the Mac forward. I thought that was a very big deal. At the same time, it was very obvious that Apple's industrial design team was having a very significant influence on where the Mac was headed. Now, of course, that influence led to a heightened level of uneasiness, especially among the pro Mac users. And we talked quite a bit about that in episode 95. So that was sort of the environment heading into this year's WWDC keynote. And well, I think that keynote, I think it put an end to that very unusual Mac stretch. That keynote could not have been any different from that October Mac event over at Apple headquarters. It's fair to say that event was a little bit awkward. However, this time around, when you look through that Mac portion of the keynote, item after item, Apple was targeting Pro Mac users. We had the new iMac Pro unveiled. $5,000 starting price. We knew that there were iMac updates coming, but I don't quite think people were expecting something like the iMac Pro. There was going to be certain configurations with this model that I think would be unimaginable just a few months ago. We have Apple's decision to sell an external graphics development kit. I don't think too many people were expecting that just a few months ago. The thing is, all of these announcements, they were in the pipeline for a while. But what was different was I think Apple was very eager Maybe you could say desperate, but certainly eager to spin a brand new, a fresh narrative around the Mac. And the focus was on pro users. Now, a lot of this new narrative, this new type of attitude facing the Mac, we kind of got a hint that it was coming from that Mac intervention that Apple had with journalists over at Apple headquarters earlier this year. We had Phil Schiller. Craig Figueriki, they were talking about how the Mac strategy at Apple, it's changing. There is going to be more attention put on the tail end of the business. Now, what that means is if you graph the Mac according to, let's say, capability, so you take each Mac model, put it on a chart, on one end, you have the least capable so you can think of it as maybe these are for consumers just interested in typing, web surfing, very basic stuff. On the other end, you have Macs that are so capable, they are for very specific use cases. You can maybe say professionals. I always have a little eh with that word. I would say instead 
you're talking about pretty niche use cases, maybe in the sciences, the engineering fields. If you graph sales on this chart, you'll see that on the right, where you start to go into these niche use cases, there's not too many sales. Apple isn't selling too many Mac Pros. They're not selling too many high-end iMacs. That's where Apple's gonna put a lot of the attention, where sales start to go off, just like a tail, really. This starts to decline, but there's still something there. It's not that people stopped buying very high-end Macs. You're just not talking about a significant number. Now, when you look at this new $5,000 iMac Pro, which is coming out later this year, it's easy to think, okay, this is going to represent the extent that Apple's moving into niche Mac territory. There's no way they're going to come out with an even more powerful or more capable Mac than an iMac Pro. No way. But that would be wrong. Apple is still planning on releasing a completely redesigned Mac Pro. Given that the iMac Pro costs $5,000, I don't think it's out of question that this new Mac Pro is going to have certain configurations that surpass $10,000. So if you're trying to figure out how many people would be interested in these machines, here's a hint. At $10,000, Apple's not selling too many of these units. That's not the point. You're not releasing a $10,000 Mac Pro to impress Wall Street or to drive up Mac revenue. You're releasing such a product because you think it's going to be a very useful tool to a very important part of the Mac user base. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that part in a few minutes. And that was the Mac portion of the keynote. It represented 23% of stage time. But there was another product that also got a pretty decent amount of stage time. It was the iPad. It had 21% of stage time. I broke out the entire keynote by stage time as part of my WWDC review, which I sent out to Above Avalon members. So you have the Mac and the iPad representing around 45%. And within those segments, you had quite a bit of hardware discussed, announced. It's a very different type of WWDC. The thing is, when you look at the Mac portion of the keynote and compare that to the iPad portion, the difference was remarkable. If I had to sum it up in a sentence, I would say the pro... In iMac Pro and Mac Pro, it clearly stands for professional. Yet the Pro in iPad Pro, I don't think it stands for professional. If anything, it stands for productivity. And that means these products, they're not just different from each other. Instead, Apple is using a completely different strategy when it comes to pushing the Pro with the Mac versus pushing the Pro with the iPad. While the Mac portion of the keynote was all about addressing that tail end of the Mac business, the iPad portion was all about bringing productivity to the masses. We had Apple unveil the 10.5-inch iPad Pro. 
The product is a continuation of Apple's bet on larger iPad screens. I think this is the right strategy. It is where Apple needs to go in a world where iPhones are getting bigger. We have experienced peak iPad mini. iPad screens need to get larger. However, that's just hardware. And what probably was even a bigger deal, Apple unveiled iOS 11 refinements just for the iPad. Some of these features were things people were hoping to see for years. They were a very big deal. There was something though that I saw with all of these iPad software refinements. The consumer, the iPad user, has a certain level of optionality. So what that means is if you're an iPad user demanding or wanting or craving additional capability with your iPad, these new iOS 11 software features are going to be very valuable. However, I don't think that's everyone. I think there's going to be a lot of iPad users, maybe even a majority of iPad users, who won't see a need for new multitasking or the new Files app. They may never use those items. For those people, they're still going to get the same familiar iOS experience. So what's really remarkable here was that Apple was able to add a certain level of productivity to large screen devices running iOS, but they didn't change what had gotten the product to where it is today. Ease of use, simplicity. For a lot of people, that is what's driving them to iPad. All of that came through during management's keynote. And I think what's the implication here, and it's a very big one, I think the iPad is truly becoming a genuine laptop alternative for hundreds of millions of people. Now, for longtime listeners, you would know I don't like using the word replacement or even replace when talking about the iPad handling the role of a Mac. I don't like saying replace because I don't think that's the proper term. Saying something like an iPad replaces a Mac really does imply that the iPad can do everything a Mac can do. That's an argument I don't want to go down. <laughs> That's a battle that I don't want to fight. Instead, I think the much better term is alternative. The iPad is really becoming an alternative to the laptop. The iPad has its certain strengths and weaknesses, and they're going to be very different from the Mac's strengths and weaknesses. But the combination of going larger screen and also getting those software refinements, which are a very big deal, that's what's really increasing the iPad's value. So once a few days passed after the keynote, I started thinking a little bit more about this. It's starting to become pretty clear. A large portion of the Mac user base, they're going to have their needs met with an iPad Pro. I think it's inevitable. It's not going to be overnight, but over time, you're going to see portions of the Mac user base move to the iPad. According to Apple, 
70% to 85% of the current Mac user base does not rely on professional Mac software. That's about 80 million people, give or take. That's a very important number because that tells us there are 80 million Mac users who are not app developers. These people do not need the power that's found in a MacBook Pro, an iMac Pro, a Mac Pro. Instead, these people get value from the Mac for other things, maybe keyboard computing, or maybe just the form factor. It may be safe to say that a lot of these people are used to the Mac. That's certainly a very rational reason for buying a new Mac. If you enjoyed a 2009 MacBook and you're looking for a new computer, maybe you are enticed by that new MacBook Pro Touch Bar. That's fine. But when you're starting to look at where things are headed in the future, I think we need to really take a look at, well, what are people doing on these MacBooks or these iMacs? And at the same time, what is Apple doing with the iPad? I think what's going to happen here is as Apple pushes the iPad Pro forward, we're talking both hardware and software advancements, including keyboard improvements, these 80 million non-pro Mac users, they're going to discover the iPad is getting pretty good at handling their computing needs. It's not that the Mac loses value. Instead, an iPad gains value. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, I don't think this transition is going to occur overnight. There's one simple reason. People hold on to Macs for a long time, upwards of five years. So people buying a new Mac now, last year, they're going to be pretty content using that device for a while. In addition, Apple management is not going to be upset by this process. As long as those 80 million non-pro Mac users stay within the Apple ecosystem, that's fine for Apple. Management has been very clear. If an Apple product cannibalizes another Apple product, that's okay. In many respects, that is by design. Here's a question. What happens to the Mac category if you have tens of millions of non-pro Mac users? So again, these are people who aren't app developers. They don't need the dedicated software that's found in the Mac. What happens to the Mac category if those people move over to an iPad Pro or an iPad or maybe even an iPhone? I think the Mac becomes a niche product category. There's still going to be millions of users, but what's going to happen is those machines, they're going to be geared towards pretty narrow use cases. We're talking about virtual reality, augmented reality, content creation. That's going to be a very big deal. Notice what Apple is doing with its product portfolio. They're moving towards augmented reality. It's going to start with iPhones and iPads, and it's going to move into wearables. I think the Mac is going to become the preferred tool for those in academic, science, engineering fields. These are people who have a very particular need 
out of a machine, they're probably not going to be able to use an iPad Pro. Of course, there's going to be some gray area. After I published this week's article over at AboveAvalon.com, I had someone reach out saying, well, wait a second. I may not use professional Mac software, but I enjoy large screen computing. I want to be able to connect a couple of monitors together. How am I going to use an iPad Pro in that instance? My takeaway or my response is there's going to be a gray area. I don't want to make this so simple that... Well, if you're non-pro, you're going to use an iPad. And if you're pro, you're going to use a $10,000 Mac. That's not what's going to happen. Instead, as the iPad Pro gets better, it's going to begin cannibalizing consumer-grade Macs. Over at AboveAvalon.com, I included an exhibit where I have the current Mac line. MacBook, MacBook Air, iMac all the way to Mac Pro and Mac Mini. I then have the future Mac line. And it's really two pieces. You have high-end niche machines running Mac OS. I used iMac Pro, Mac Pro. Could you put a MacBook Pro? Could you include a laptop form factor in that? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> I had a lot of people say, there's no way that Apple won't sell a Mac OS laptop. Okay. But I think the bigger deal here is if you look at the other piece. Instead of selling a lot of Mac laptops, I think the computers for the masses, they're going to run iOS. And they're going to be called iPad. And so the Mac line will essentially become niche. You're going to talk about the niche machines targeting specific people. That number is going to be way down from what it is today. But then the iPad Pro and the iPad, those machines are going to be able to handle much more of the mass market's need for computing from a large screen. Now, of course, we have the iPhone. We have wearables. I didn't really bring those products into this discussion if you look at sales it is obvious there are hundreds of millions of people who are becoming iphone only people in terms of computing in the future people are going to be wearables only in terms of computing it's going to happen it's inevitable now of course the unknown here is timing when is this going to happen are we talking two years five years ten years i don't know I don't think anyone really knows. And to a very large extent, we need Apple to continue pushing with the iPad, with iOS, with wearables for a lot of this transition to happen. This is where we once again return to the topic of Apple's Achilles heel. This was episode 95. I don't want to rehash this topic too much. I got a lot of feedback about it. <laughs> it is safe to say that there is a debate about this. <laughs> There's a, there are two sides to it, and I heard both sides pretty well. It was, I don't know, I, I actually like articles like this where you do have two sides to something. There's really no consensus about this, but it's an item that I think people need to spend more time thinking about. 
the main thesis found with the Mac is turning into Apple's Achilles heel is that Apple's inability to move beyond the Mac represents a vulnerability in its product strategy. And this is a product strategy that I think has been getting stronger over time. Look at how Apple is coming up with new products that are targeting the mass market. Apple Watch, wireless AirPods. Of course, you have iPhone, iPad. Apple's industrial design team the team that looks over the user experience, they are connecting with the mass market like never before. But where does the Mac fit into this? If we're talking about the Mac category becoming more niche, how does industrial design fit into this? The issue facing the Mac has never been about Apple's ability to give the product category attention. I don't think that's been the case. We can look at why updates were sporadic. There's probably some reason for that. Just look at this year's WWDC. It's clear that Apple can give the Mac attention. I don't think the iPhone is grabbing so much attention at Apple that they can't do anything else. I don't think that's happening. In fact, one could say that the Mac's outlook within Apple, it's never been brighter. It's stronger today than ever before. Think about it in this way. If you had to take a look at Apple's product line and pick one product that you think is going to remain in Apple's product line the longest, well, given Apple's revised Mac strategy, I would say the Mac's pretty high on that list. I probably would go with it. That's exactly supporting my thesis behind Mac is Apple's Achilles heel. I can't envision an Apple that's able to move beyond the Mac. You're talking about a Mac category that is going to become a permanent niche within what is otherwise a continuously changing product line. Now, if you take a closer look at this changing product line, I think what Apple is moving to here is really six big buckets. I'm going to go over this very, very quickly but it's obvious that you could spend almost an episode on each one of these buckets. You have the iPhone. It's becoming an augmented reality navigator. That's a mass market item. You're talking about billions of users. You have an iPad, the computer for the masses, another mass market item. Not as big as the iPhone, but hundreds of millions. Wearables. This is just starting. You have various form factors, each with very broad use cases. Apple Watch, wireless AirPods. I think the target market for those products will shock a lot of people. You're talking hundreds of millions of people. It may be very difficult to see that today, but I'm becoming increasingly confident in that. Of course, we have transportation. Self-driving transport vehicles. Four wheels. Maybe two wheels. These are mass market items. And then with last week's episode, HomePod, we have Apple beginning to look more closely at the home. Again, various form factors with very broad use cases. Now look at the Mac. In the article, I describe the Mac as graphics-intensive content creation and computation. Is that a mass market item? I don't think so. 
So whereas for the rest of Apple's product portfolio, the mass market is the focus, you have the Mac being a niche product. The primary value, it's focused on content creation. The content that's going to be consumed by all of those other products. If you're focused on augmented reality or virtual reality, you're going to be using an iPhone, an iPad, wearables, transportation, and in the home. This may not seem like a problem for Apple. The Mac has done a lot of good things in terms of inspiring the current generation of content creators for playing a crucial role in getting iOS to where it is today thanks to that content. However, the problem for Apple is that having a long tail end of the business comprised of niche Mac models may pose a challenge. When you look at Apple industrial designers, they're going to need to look after the user experience within a portfolio of mass market products and at the same time handle the dramatically different user needs found with the Mac. I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Will Apple Industrial Design cede control over the user experience found with these Macs to engineering? I had a few people say, that's not a big deal. They should have done that years ago. I just don't view it the same way. I think there is a lot of risk. It may not be obvious, but there is risk in having that control over the user experience move away from the industrial designers. This is not meant to say that they can't do any wrong. This is not meant to say that it has to remain with them for Apple to succeed as a company. Instead, there's going to be some change here, and it's not clear how that change is going to happen and how Apple is going to handle that change. The best way, or maybe I should say the way I'm most comfortable with describing this situation is that it's uncharted territory. It's not clear to me how Apple is going to proceed on this one issue. So while some people look at Apple's biggest risk being management not willing to move beyond the iPhone or being too focused on the iPhone that they miss other things, I think that fear is completely misplaced. Just look at what Apple's doing with wearables. They're already moving beyond the iPhone. People just don't see it yet. Instead, I think the genuine risk facing this management team is an Apple that can't completely move beyond the Mac. A long-standing theory here is that Apple has to move beyond legacy products in order to completely focus on the future. That theory will very likely be put to test with the Mac. For a minute here, I'll play devil's advocate. It's certainly possible that the Mac may just represent Apple's first genuine growing pains. So yes, it's going to be a little bit different, but Apple will be able to handle both niche Mac hardware and also have the rest of the product portfolio focus on the mass market. They can maybe handle content creators on that niche Mac really well. They'll be able to handle their needs at the same time pushing what they think is the best user experience forward and not have that jeopardize the rest of Apple's product category. 
The thing is, we have never seen Apple do that before. And that's why I think it's an unknown. And given how the industrial design team seems to have had some issues with looking over the Mac user experience, I think it's a vulnerability. And that's why I still think the Mac is Apple's Achilles heel. I don't want to conclude today's episode on that note because I think it would leave the wrong impression here. I think the Mac's going to play a very major role in creating content for Apple products going forward. We're talking about wearables and transportation. This is going to give the Mac a significant amount of influence at Apple. People should not underestimate that influence. This last point may be very difficult for some people to believe, but I don't think it has ever been a better time to be a pro Mac user. That was one takeaway from WWDC this year. While the Mac has a bright future at Apple, the amount of change headed towards the product category should not be underestimated. That's going to do it for the 100th episode of the Above Avalon podcast. If you enjoy the analysis found in these episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you'd be very interested in becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily email focused on Apple. So this is a 2,000-word email that I send throughout the week. Each email contains two to three stories, and we talk about things that are impacting Apple. It may be current news events. It may be stories that intrigue me. It could be my Apple earnings model, keynotes. The list goes on. For example, I sent my full WWDC 2017 review to above Avalon members. It was spread out in two emails. Members also have the option of joining the Above Avalon team in Slack. So that's where the archive exists. You can go back and read previous daily emails. There are now two years worth of daily emails. In addition, you can chat with other Above Avalon members. So there are channels where people introduce themselves. We have members from all over the world. Different industries and occupations are represented. And I'm finding that the Slack team is a great place for us to talk about Apple. And so in some ways, we can go into a little bit more discussion about certain news a little bit better than we could do on Twitter or Facebook or any other social network. So all of those features are available for Above Avalon members. You can head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. That's where you can sign up, become a member. There are two options available. It's either $10 per month or $100 per year. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members. So thank you if you are considering becoming an Above Avalon member. With that, I will conclude this episode. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.